Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. Karen very helpfully with helping us to think about wow factors. And I want us just for a wee minute or two to actually continue on that theme. But where we were with the folks talking about it, we had um, Alison saw in North of Sky a triple rainbow, was that right? Which is exactly a wow thing. Um, my wow fact, I have to say, I can say this because Elizabeth's not here, so she'll know, um, so, is, is, is actually, and I've mentioned this before, standing under the big statue of Christ the Redeemer in Rio de Janeiro and looking out over the city and just hearing that and sensing that. I think we've, um, Leslie was talking about the clouds and the beautiful clouds and just the colors and everything else. You'll remember, was it Christmas time? You gave her a gift, wasn't it? Um, and she, she loves that. We both said, well, she's looking up to the clouds and I'm looking up to Christ, so that's okay. If that's our last thought as we depart this earthly existence, well, at least we're kind of going up the way. <laughs> what, what makes something a wow factor? So where you were, just picking up that theme of that thing that makes you go, what, why is it a wow factor? The, the, the noise of a child crying or, or a building or whatever. What is it that makes it a wow factor? That's a wee bit more, maybe a wee bit more profound than that for the kids to think about, but let's do that for a few minutes together where we are. What is the thing that makes you go? Okay. On you go, just for a few minutes. Right, well, just let's hear a wee bit. What is it? We bit to say, we pushing it a wee bit further. What is it that makes it go? Let's have a few, few answers. Few answers. Few answers. Something you're not expecting. Yes, it can. And presumably, a nice thing that you're not expecting that makes you go, ah, a surprise, a nice surprise. Yes, my brother, um, who's a lot older than me. Lot, 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 lot older than me. Another generation, another decade, another world. Had his 70th birthday. And, 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 and he got, Elizabeth made a cake for him. And, ah, yes. First time I looked surprised for a long time. Yes, so that's a nice surprise. And that's, that's right, good, thanks, thanks. Anna. Anything else? Anything? It's not an everyday occurrence. Yes, it's not kind of just, okay, that's the usual thing. It's something different. Yes. Something spectacular, yes, yes, with a rainbow or, or a building or something that just kind of, yes, again, that wow factor, we keep describing that. And it's out, it's beyond just our, how would you say, our, our, our normal, mundane, perhaps, um, existence or experience. It transcends that. Anything else? Anything else? Something very personal to you. Yes, somebody else might not particularly, but to you it just rings a bell. There's a, yes, yes, exactly. It's something in here actually stirs. And actually all of that, it's in here, isn't it? Yes, our eyes might see it or hear it. um, And we might even technically be able to explain it, but it, it does something in here that takes us to a new place or a new dimension or transcends, as I said earlier, our experience. It's easy to say, but when we think of Jesus, we should all have a wow fact. Indeed, one of the reasons we gather together Sunday by Sunday, particularly in a larger gathering, is because as we worship together, as we hear the hymns, as we sing them, as we hear God's Word, whatever, it's meant to take us beyond just the mundane, the material, what we're familiar with, what we're used to. That's why we do things different, even like this. 
And it's meant to stir something in here, to stir inside our hearts. And, and this is bigger and brighter and a great surprise and wonderful. And yet something that we can experience in the here and now. So in one sense, now, I know only too well that's not the case every Sunday, but it's meant to be when we gather together that we're, that was, so we need to pray for me and for others to lead in worship. And we do thank Karen for helping us, because I wasn't planning to do that, but for helping us to enter into that other that is beyond our expectations, that is unfamiliar in a nice way and touches deep in our hearts. That's why the Gospels were written. And that's why it's good for us to read the Gospels, read it as a book, read it as a story. And sometimes, even though it's very familiar, and of course, this is the problem, because for many of us sitting here, not for all of us, but for many of us sitting here, it's quite familiar. It's quite, you know, we kind of know the stories. And for those of us who are not, we might sometimes think, well, I don't know the stories, and so perhaps I'm not just at that place. Actually, friends, if that's you, you've got an advantage, because it's you, it's fresh, and it is out there, and it is beyond just the normal, the mundane. So let's hear some more of that big story that's meant to stir our hearts and cause us to say, wow. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. And I appreciate it's been a few weeks now with one thing or another that we've been looking at this, but we're now very much on the journey towards Easter. Won't be long. It's amazing how the year goes in, doesn't it? So let's hear God's word together. Matthew chapter 15, and we'll read from verse 1. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules." Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they had heard this? And he replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Amen. And may God continue to speak to us as we read and reflect on His Word together. 
The Gospels are winding up, in a sense, the tension. It's a bit like a, a journey. There's a destination to be arrived at, the destination for the Gospel records, as the story of Jesus in Jerusalem, His death and His resurrection. And like any of us on a, a journey, as we get near the destination, there is a sense of expectation, a sense of anticipation, perhaps looking forward to the wow factor when we arrive and we see and we look and we think, whoo. And in a very real sense, that's the case. Of course, the things that we're going to be looking at and thinking are, aren't beautiful in the sense of, you know, a lovely picture scene or a lovely tourist postcard type scene, but they are beautiful because the very things that we're gazing upon and journeying with Jesus about are the very means by which men and women can actually have the eternal wow factor in their hearts and in their lives. And that's why as we read the gospel records and hear Jesus, he's someone who is the, the, the great physician of the soul. He's, he's someone who wants us to, to have that, in a sense, wow experience of God, but he knows that that begins and has to deal with the heart, with the inner man. I was sitting talking to, to Leslie, and we were just saying how sad it is, thankfully that was not the case here with, 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 with children, with young people, but we, we kind of joked about the teenagers, and they get a wee bit cool, and nothing's really kind of, you know, going to kind of surprise them and all the rest of it, and that's part of growing up and everything else, but how sad it is if there are people, whatever age they may be, who no longer are surprised no longer are stirred, no longer able to see things that move their hearts, whether it be a clouds, whether it be the rainbows, whether it be the sound of a baby crying, whether it be a piece of music, whatever it is, all of these things, you see, these, these things stir the inner being of a man or a woman. And that could be experienced from the very youngest of years to the very end of our lives. We can still be stirred in the inner being. And Jesus knows in this parable here that we're reading, Jesus knows that that is the crux of the matter. You see, the Pharisees, they'd long lost the ability to be stirred positively by anything. They were stirred by in anger because Jesus was rocking the boat. He was challenging. He was doing something that was different, and they didn't like that. They liked everything to be under their control, everything to be regulated, everything to be the way that it was meant to be. And Jesus particularly challenges them about their whole concept of a relationship with God. It's all to do with rules and regulations. Long before the, 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 the coronavirus tell us we should wash our hands, um, they had ceremonial washing of their hands, that outward sign. Yes, the picture is a good picture, the outward sign of being clean inside and right with God. But long ago, they had lost the connection with outward performance and inward reality. It's simply been something that you do to show to others how good you are. But this is the Jesus who came not to call the righteous and inverted commas, but sinners to repentance. He's not taken in by that outward performance. He wants heart relationship. But if that's going to happen, we have to be honest and open about what goes on inside, within our own inner soul. Jesus makes it clear the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands doesn't defile them. Interesting enough, 
Jesus quotes from the prophet Isaiah, a prophet who had challenged God's people long ago to get real with God, to give up an outward performance and relying on how they appear to be the means of securing God's favor. Can I read you the context of the bigger passage from Isaiah 29? These verses, Isaiah 29, verse 13, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based merely on human rules that they have been taught. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wow factor is going to be restored. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, you did not make me? Can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing? The prophet's diagnosis of the condition is that their hearts were far from God, cluttered, marred, damaged by sinful thoughts. But the struggle we all have with a battle within us, as Paul talks it, between that which is right and that which is wrong. And as we said last Sunday, a bit like the virus that's going around at the moment, the younger people, you guys over there will be keen with you because you're supposed to be okay. Others of us are as age in life, we will not be so okay. Some might have it and doesn't appear to be very obvious. Some hardly even know it. Others will have it and it can be fatal. And the disease of sin is like that. Yes, outwardly we can be okay, but inwardly we have the virus of sin. And until we realize that, until we recognize that, until we discover that God's in the business of sorting out that problem of drawing our hearts close to Him and making them fresh and new, (coughs) then we'll really misunderstand what the gospel is all about or why Jesus came not to call the righteous, but sinners like me to repentance. You are merciful to me. You are merciful to me every day. My disobedience grieves your loving heart, but then redeeming love bakes through and causes me to worship you. Redeemer, Savior, Healer, Friend. This is the God who wants our hearts to be near to Him and wants to come and forgive and to restore who we truly are. Let's stand and sing this song. So unlike the Pharisees, unlike the religious, unlike those who think that they're okay, and that, you know, God will be pleased to have them as one of his friends, because after all, if, you know, if I'm in this team, then one up for, one up for him. That unlike them, God's in the business of dealing with the reality as it is, with the human condition, with the things that go on deep within us, with the hearts and feelings, and faults, and fragility that's part of the human soul. And God's in the business of dealing with that and restoring us to have a wow factor. It's amazing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And how's he going to do that? Well, let's read on in the gospel records. Back to Matthew 16, Matthew 16, we're journeying on quickly. Got to get to Easter. 
I think you did to take a year if you were really going. I need to start previous Easter if you're going to go verse by verse through the Gospels. A friend of mine took two and a half years to get from his birth to his death. I think you might find that a wee bit long. So, we're moving on. Matthew 16 and verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And we'll pause there. So if Jesus is in the business of restoring the sense of our hearts so that we can go, wow, in the presence of God and be taken away, in a sense, by His glory, by His majesty, and by His love and grace and mercy, how's He going to do that? How's He going to do that? Well, the gospel writers make it clear that Jesus knew that not only was the human condition brutally needing repair and radical change, but that was going to involve Him and a very brutal ending explaining to the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and the third day be raised to life. Especially at this time, as we hear of various situations in the world, our thoughts must surely go to those who are involved in the front line of dealing with those who are becoming sick and seriously ill with this virus, and indeed with many other things that are going on, the world, going on in the world. Those who stay, step out of their safety zone, step out of what is normal, step out indeed of what is the mundane, and are willing to make that radical step to go to somewhere, to maybe the refugees who are fleeing, continue to flee from Syria, or to go and work in a hospital, or go to be in a situation where they themselves become vulnerable of being attacked, or taking ill, and yes, perhaps dying. And we've already made reference to that very faithful Chinese Christian doctor who did that and succumbed at the age of 35, which is not common um, to the virus, really because he was continually being infected by it as he was in the front line trying to help others deal with the outbreak of it in China. The risk taker, the one who's willing to sacrifice themselves and their talents in order that others may benefit. We're all going to have to maybe learn that by some of us maybe staying indoors, if we're told to. That will not go down well with many within our society. 
with no longer a concept of community, a responsibility for others. We, we don't like to be told that for others' sake we should or should not do something. We're going to have to learn that, perhaps a lesson we badly need to learn in our contemporary society. Jesus, for the sake of others, was going to go to a place of brutality. And in many ways, understandably, Peter didn't fancy that idea. None of us, none of us would want to see a loved one, a good friend, a family member, put themselves into a place of danger. And, and, and we, we allow our hearts are so complicated and so, you know, such a blend of good things and not so good things, all mixed together, that it's hard for us to distinguish. And so we say, no, you can't do that. Don't do that. And, and, we, and our emotions get so stirred that we lose sight of the bigger picture and the more important principle. So, in many ways, my sympathy is for Peter, but Jesus is brutally honest. Notice he is very frank, very brutal, but the human condition about what's going on and what's going to happen to him. And here again, he says, get behind me, Satan. I mean, this is the man just a few minutes ago, well, maybe not a few minutes ago, but relatively recently, he commended, and yet he says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. Notice what he says there. It's not that Jesus is indifferent to what's going to happen. It's not that he's not bothered. Oh, well, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, but don't worry. All these things are going to happen to me, but it's a okay not. His best mate coming up to him and saying, don't do it, is actually a real temptation, a real pressure. The humanity of the Word that became flesh and lived among us, full of grace and truth. But Jesus says, you're a stumbling wall to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus makes it clear His will was to do His Father's will. My delight is to do my Father's this is love, not that we love God, but that He first loved us and gave Himself to be the means by which our sins can be forgiven. I must go to Jerusalem. So serious is the human condition that the Son of God was willing to go to the ultimate lengths to deal with it. Such is the God that we worship. Oh, to see the dawn of the darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary, tried by sinful men, torn and beaten, then nailed to a cross of wood. And again, we'll stand to sing. And the centurion who stood at the bottom of that cross, and he'd seen many, many other people be crucified. It was, after all, the form of capital punishment. And as he stood at the cross, jaded with all that he'd seen, hardened by all his own experiences, by also his own evil endeavors and everything else, he was stirred and broken. He cried out, truly, this was the Son of God. And my friends, however long you've been a believer, if your heart is not stirred by the cross, I have to respectfully and lovingly say there's something far wrong. The wow factor. Our hearts stirred. But it's good for us to remember as we close, and this karma has helpfully drawn us to, that this is also the one who's the glorious and eternal Son of God. Let's read on. After rebuking Peter, 
Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Notice again God's burden in Christ for that inner heart relationship. That's what he's about, not outward conformity to a set of rules, but a heart made right with a holy God. For the Son of Man is going to come Jesus says, in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Speaking, of course, of the fact that his death was going to be followed by his resurrection and by the gift of the Spirit, God's kingdom cometh. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, bless the poor soul. I think he was one of these guys that was quiet. He always felt he had to speak, you know. So he says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He's the kind of guy that would roll up his sleeves and get you know, the, the spanner out, the plumb, you know, get in there and get onward, you know, even though he wasn't very sure what was happening. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down in the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. You see, my friends, we can't understand the journey to the cross. We can't understand the the destination that Jesus speaks about here without also understanding who this Jesus is. You see, who is John? Who, Who am I? You know, John the Baptist, the last great prophet of Israel, or some other rabbi teacher, some other person, worthy, worthy, worthy person. But at the end of the day, a human person, another man, someone like us with all the frailties and imperfections along with, along with all the great blessings and giftings and, and potential that there is a mixed bag at best. But Jesus is not that. Yes, he's holy human, but he's also holy, divine. And that picture in the mountain transfiguration where Moses and Elijah, the great symbols of the law of God and the prophets of God come, and they're the ones through the Old Testament, they're the ones who bear testimony to this is the one that the prophets foretold and that Moses longed for and that they waited for that higher place and that higher land and that higher calling. This is what they were pointing towards. And indeed, any of us, any of us, preacher or normal member, follower of Jesus, that's our calling. We're simply pointers to the one who is far greater. He must increase and we must decrease. And they catch a glimpse of the glory of God. Bless Peter. You know, we better do something. 
And then when he hears this voice, and this is a voice not only to the disciples who were gathered there, but this is a voice from heaven for each one of us sitting in church this morning, including myself. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. You see, it's not the gurus or the philosophers or even the scientists or the the bright people of this age. God delights the prophet Isaiah tells us. He likes to take the intelligent and intelligence in a sense and turn it upside down. Paul speaking to the Corinthians talk about the foolishness of the gospel. The Greeks look for signs and, and the Jews look for wise sayings. But I take Christ crucified. He is the wisdom of God. He is the power of God. And it's him that we have to listen to. For He alone is able to do that which none of us can do for ourselves. Take that which is far from Him and draw Him to Himself. John tells us in his gospel that Jesus makes clear it's the work of the Holy Spirit that does that, who comes to convict and convince to open our eyes, to stir our hearts, to make us aware of both righteousness righteousness and judgment. Who is Jesus and our need of Him? And we need to pray that in these days, when many hearts are filled with all sorts of fear and speculation, where there is much uncertainty and much fragility within our society already being revealed, I mean, last week it was 50,000, was it, quarantined in Italy? Now it's 16 million. (sighs) Speculations, rumors, realities that we as believers will reveal Jesus and point to Him. The one who Paul tells us was humbled for a season but now is exalted and coming again in glory and might. Remember these words, that great early hymn of the church. When Paul writes in Philippians, speaking of Christ Jesus, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with something to be used to his own advantage. But rather he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We should stand in awe of the cross. The world looks at it as a place of, that, that's your Savior? A broken, blooded, dying man? But therein God's foolishness, in a sense, was seen as supreme wisdom. He who you know sin became sin, so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. We stand in awe at the empty tomb. And of the risen Christ, still with the marks of his passion on his body, saying, be not afraid. Peace be with you. My peace that I've won, I give to you. 
And we stand, as Leslie was saying, when we're doing on the look at the clouds. For one day the Son of Man will come in his glory with his holy angels to judge the living and the dead. Will that be a welcome? A day of eternal wow? Will that day of fear and eternal regret? This is Jesus. Listen to him. Let's sing together as our offering is brought forward. And I want to commend Janice for so beautifully playing that last hymn, so sensitively helping us to reflect in the words that we were singing. Thank you for doing that, Janice. We see the Lord, 736. We'll remain seated as we sing this. We'll sing this through twice together, and then we'll go into singing, He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead, and He is Lord. But we'll remain seated as we sing. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.